Marriage is not always easy, but God wants you and your spouse to build a healthy relationship that reflects His love. Join us for Pursuing Love, a new series of messages designed to show you the beauty, hope, and purpose that God has for marriage. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible today. I'm listening to a book right now by Phil Knight. Um, I don't really recommend the book, but it's, it's fine. But there's, he shares a story in there. Phil Knight's the guy who started Nike, and he tells all the stories and the difficulty and the challenge of getting it started and the, the hundred times that they nearly failed and went under and, and they were holding on by, you know, a, a string and barely able to make it and all of that. But Phil Knight shares in his book, uh, Shoe Dog, uh, a, one of the early Nike ad campaigns that probably some of you might be old enough to remember. And the title of the ad campaign was, There Is No Finish Line. And the idea is that we run, and we don't run simply because we're in a race, that we run because it's good for us, it's healthy, it's whatever. And, and it was a new concept in fitness at the time that you would actually run. I, uh, I think some of you, again, you would remember that. People used to do other things. And, and so the concept there is no finish line. Well, I was thinking about that last night and talking about pursuing love. And I would submit to you that it would, when it comes to our marriage and our walk with God, that there really is no finish line. You've never, you'll never come to a place where you just arrive. Like I, I crossed the tape, I don't have to run anymore. When I was in high school, I ran track. I loved part of track and I hated part of track. I, I, my events were um, the 100, you can, do, you can compete in four events and so you'd normally have more than you could compete in just because the coaches are trying to get points for the team for the team win. But I, would, I competed in the 100, the 200, the 110 high hurdles until the coach realized how short my legs were. Um, the high jump, the long jump, the triple jump and the shot put, the four by one and the four by four. Four by 100 meters and the four by 400 meters. So depending on how the coach wanted to organize that, that's what I would do. I loved the 100 because it was short. I've got good cardio for 100 meters and, or had. And, uh, and you'd run and you'd run with all your might and you would run through the tape. And as soon as you were through the tape, you were done. Whether you were first or last, you crossed the line, you were done. Well, when it comes to marriage and when it comes to pursuing love and when it comes to our walk with Christ, there's never a time that we're able to say, I'm finished, I'm done, I'm complete, I've arrived. We've never arrived. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14, 13 and 14, we are pressing towards the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are constantly pursuing if I could say it this way, the perfection that is in Christ Jesus alone. That's why in our marriages, we've never arrived. That's why I worry about people who say things like this. We're good. I don't need to hear another message on, pre- uh, on marriage. I don't need to go to another conference on marriage. I, we're good. I'm just going to tell you that that really is very concerning to me because when you stop moving forward, you don't stay stagnant. You inevitably start to retreat. It's the physical law of entropy. Tend, things tend toward deterioration, including our walk with Christ, including our relationships. If we're not working on them, the reality is because of the sin-cursed world we live in, we are deteriorating. So when it comes to marriage, I think we have to ask a really important question. And the question is this, why did God create marriage? Why did he create marriage? Why marriage? The internet gives some reasons for it. They're rather ubiquitous. And I'm not saying that any of them are bad, but they give these reasons. I wrote some of them down. A longer life. The risk of mortality of married couples is twice lower than that of unmarried couples. So if you want to live a long life, get married. A lower risk of sexually transmitted diseases, better health, physical and mental. Some of you are thinking, they didn't ask me. But anyway, nonetheless, 
drinking less alcohol, earning more money, raising children together, a better quality of life. All these are proven to be the case, a lifelong companionship, health benefits. Again, none of these are bad. I would just submit they missed the mark. Well, Pastor, maybe we should find some sources from the Christian world. Well, there's an early prayer book. It was written in 1549, and it suggests that marriage and the purpose of marriage is for procreation, having children, a remedy against sexual sin, and mutual comfort. And though all three of those things are wonderful, I would submit to you that marriage is more than about procreation, sexual protection, and comfort. Why marriage is the question. The why of marriage is more important than the what and even more important than the how of marriage. If all you have is the, why, the, the, the what and the how, what is marriage, and, and the church is really, especially in the last few years, really focused on what marriage is. And by the way, that's a good discussion to have. And oftentimes, when it comes to marriage, we talk about the how of marriage, how to do this, how to do that, how to do this. It's kind of like the church becomes the, 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 the wiki how of marriage, 10 things that tell you how to have a better marriage. And, and those things are, are good, and we're going to get into some of those. But the most important question to ask is why? If our why is wrong, everything else is temporary. Well, why are you working out? Well, because this girl I like goes to the gym. All right, dude, you're not going to keep working out. Why do you eat hot foods? Because my brother, you know, called me a sissy if I didn't eat hot foods, which my brother does. And if I don't eat hot foods. You know, the only time I eat hot foods is when I'm around my brother. But now that I'm bigger than my brother and he's old and breaking down, I hope he's watching. I don't eat hot foods anymore. Why? Because I don't need to. Because the, the why was simply for a, a temporal reason. Nothing wrong with the why. It was just for a temporal reason. The why of marriage is really the biggest question. A Pew Research survey found that four in ten married adults cite finances and convenience as a major reason why they got married. Is marriage intended for convenience or financial betterment? Is the purpose of marriage to prevent sexually transmitted diseases or even lifelong companionship? Every one of those is good. Every one of those would be beneficial. I like every single one of those, and they're wonderful assets in the tool bag of marriage. But the first purpose of marriage is far greater than companionship or offspring or financial stability, financial stability or sexual fulfillment. The first purpose of marriage is to please God. Not simply your wedding, not just your honeymoon, not just a wonderful anniversary vacation or the birth of your children. The purpose of marriage is to please God. The humdrum, cloudy days of marriage, the monotonous days of marriage, the days when you look at single people with envy, the dark days of the soul when you wonder what you're doing and why, you're, why am I doing it with him or why am I doing it with her? I would submit to you that the dark and difficult days of your marriage are days when you, and, and, and in those dark, difficult days, you still show love and compassion and leadership and submission. I would submit to you that God gets the greatest joys then. The days when others would run and hide or drown themselves in an intoxicating beverage or a prescription opioid and you pursue love, depending on the grace of God for your strength, I would say that God is pleased and honored with that. 
If you only pursue love when things are going well, if you only pursue love in the fun days where, where your spouse responds every time in a way that just, just fascinates you and they look amazing and everything about them is wonderful and, and you know, their, their lips feel like the velvet thread of joy across yours. I would submit to you if that's the only time that you love them is when they're idyllic, that God gets little glory. Matthew chapter 5, the most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching and he says in verse number 43, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But by the way, that's a big stand because people don't always love their neighbor. But I, Jesus says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? We could, we could apply that. If you only love your spouse, verse 46, if you only love your spouse when things are going well, now a publican was a Jew who was a tax collector for the Romans. They were the, they were the least thought of people in society in Jesus' day. There was nobody, it was like a, it was, it was, it was a, it was, it was the word of, of great rebuke. So if you, if you only love people that love you, what reward have you? Don't, don't the publicans do that? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? If you only say hi to the people that you like and the people that you know, don't even the publicans do that? Be you therefore perfect as your father which is in heaven is perfect. Since Christian love is an act of the will and not simply an emotion, God has the right to command us to even love our enemies. Because according to Romans chapter five, verse number 10, that's what we were before we were saved. We were the enemies of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, the Bible literally says this, you're the enemy of God. That's why it's an affront to the character of God to say, I love my spouse when they're doing well, but I don't love my spouse when they don't do what I want. And my love is conditional because everything about the love of God is 100% unconditional 100 percent marriage is a picture to the world it's a picture to your kids it's a picture to your church it's a picture to your coworkers. it's a picture to your friends and to your family whether they're saved or lost in our text of four things this morning we're going to look at thing one Tonight, we'll look at two and three, and Wednesday, we'll look at four. Now, I've been around a while, so this is what I did. I know that some of you will be like, well, maybe I'll come back for those other services. So I planned it, what I think as well. I'm going to talk to the men this morning, and I'm going to talk to the women on Wednesday night. You say, well, watch online. We're not going to show it online on Wednesday night. We're showing Tom and Jerry cartoons on Wednesday night. So you got to come back Wednesday night to get the full grasp of what we're talking about here. I'm obviously teasing. But I really want to encourage you to be back for the whole thing. You say, well, why didn't you give us all four this morning? Well, because I already preached too long. Could you imagine if I had four points? I preached 50 minutes in the first service on one point. Imagine if I had four. It would have been a little more difficult. I want you to notice in our text this morning that marriage is a picture to the world of four things. And the first thing that we'll look look at today is found in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives. Let's start in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, Ephesians 5.22. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man move out from his father and mother. You see, mine says leave, same thing. Leave his father and mother shall be joined into his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I want you to notice the first thing found in verse 25 to 27. The marriage is a picture to a lost and dying world of the unending love Christ has for his church. Of the unending love Christ has for his church. God didn't just institute marriage for you to have something to do or for somebody to take out the trash or for somebody to split chores and duties and responsibilities with. Your marriage is first and foremost a picture of the unending love Christ has for the church. The concept that marriage is a picture of God's relationship to his people is not new to the New Testament. We see God's love for his people in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 54, verse number five says, for thy maker, talking about God, is thine husband, God talking to the people of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his his name and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Isaiah chapter 62, verse number four. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee, and the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Sometimes people erroneously say that the God of the Old Testament is a harsh, unloving God. They just fail to understand in any true way the character of God who is the same in the Old Testament as he is the New Testament's. We see God's love for people in the Old Testament. We see Christ's love for the church in the New Testament. Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. The Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, talking about Jesus, hath purchased with his own blood. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Paul says to the church at Galatia, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Revelation chapter one, verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It's imperative that you understand this, that God loves you. It's imperative that you understand this when it comes to marriage, that your marriage is a picture of God's love for the church or Christ's unending love for the church. It's imperative And in our text this morning, we see in verse 25 and through verse number 27, a man's love for his wife. And men, I'm just going to be candid with you for the next few minutes, for the next 20-ish minutes, this message is primarily to us. And the Apostle Paul in this text has way more to say to us as men than he does to the ladies. We'll deal with the ladies again on Wednesday. But he he is primarily in this text talking to us as shepherds, leaders, and pastors pastors in the home. As Christians, we live for a higher purpose in our marriage. 
And the purpose is not any laundry list of good things. The ultimate purpose is to show the world the unending love Christ has for his church. That's why it's shocking in your marriage. That's why it's shocking when men put things in front of the marriage or the relationship that they have with their wife. That's why it's dumbfounding. Your work is not more important than your wife. Your work is important, make no mistake about it. And truth be told, you may actually spend more time at work than you do with your wife if you don't count sleep. And some of you in the military, you're like, Pastor, my wife's the most important thing, but I deploy, what do I do? No, no, I'm not talking about, listen to me, I'm not talking about duration for a moment. We'll talk about that at another time. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about measure of importance. Your wife needs to be the most important person in your life. And men, you have to be diligent to make sure she never feels undervalued. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. He doesn't give us wiggle room to think about how much love that is. Well, how much do I have to love her? As Christ loves the church. The word love here means to delight in. To del- Listen to me. It means to delight in. Husbands, delight in. We could say it this way. Find joy in. Find pleasure in. Your wife, even as Christ delights in the church. That's our standard. Your standard is not like, oh, I need to have a marriage like Pastor and Debbie. Now, I want to have an exemplary marriage. I want you to be able to see me and Debbie, and hopefully you'll be like, yeah, I'd like to have a marriage like that. That, that, That'd be nice. But at the end of the day, we will let you down. Let me rephrase. I will let you down. But Jesus never will. And the standard of man is going to be vacillating and waffling and sometimes we'll do really well and sometimes we won't. But the perfection of Christ is consistent and he's the one we're pursuing. And as we are pursuing Christ-like love in a Christ-like way, we have a consistent measuring stick or a consistent objective. And the objective is Christ-like love because we are a picture to a lost and dying world of the unending love Christ has for his church. And I'm to delight in her. That's why she's more important than any hobby you have. She's more important than climbing the corporate ladder. She's more important important than your parents and siblings. I have a wonderful mother. If you've not met my mom, she's an amazing lady. She's six foot four. No. That's how she seemed when I was a kid. She's, I don't know, she's like four foot, no, she's, I think, five two. And uh, she, used to, she used to be taller, but because of her bad attitude, God had to chop her down. Um, and uh, she's about five two, and I love her to death. And before I got married, man, my mom and I, I don't know that you could find a, a, a kid closer to his mom. We were super close. I used to write her poems like roses are red, violets are, be- are blue, I love you now, but I'm leaving you. And um, I'm kidding, but I used to write her poems and, and she still hangs them in her, in her house uh, above my brother's pictures and above my sister's stuff, so I love that. And, and uh, we, were, we were super close. Well, when we got married, my mom didn't understand something. My parents had raised me to follow Jesus and to follow the Bible, and I, I just kind of knew, and my parents had preached, that your wife's the most important thing in all the world. So when we got married... Debbie, I mean, on the day we got married, uh, December 26th, 1990 something, um, I just, decades close enough, um, Debbie and I got married, and when that happened, my mom uh, no longer had that place in my heart. That was, that was hard for that stubborn German lady to get. So she kept overstepping her bounds. I mean, on a regular basis. 
Like she is weird about it. You say, how do you know she's weird about it? She's a mother-in-law. Something happens when they become mother-in-laws. They just get weird. And so I'd had conversations with her, like several, like, mom, you can't do that. Mom, you can't do that. Mom, you can't do that. Mom, you can't come into our house and tell us what we're going to do. Mom, you can't come into our house and start cleaning it, which I didn't see as a problem, but Debbie felt disrespected by that. I'm like, disrespected? Let the woman go to work for free. Matter of fact, I was bringing dust in from the outside and kind of shaking it around. She feels better about herself. Let her do it. And Debbie's like, well, I feel like I should be able to do it. I'm like, you are able. You've just never done it. So let her try. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm not teasing. Um, But I'm being silly, obviously. But... um, I had to have a conversation with my mom about some stuff. And, and we went on a walk in Amarillo, Texas. And my mom is like an like a Olympic walker for old people. Like the geriatric Olympics, she's in the walking category. She walks five to seven miles a day. And the matter she gets, the faster she walks. So we start out at a normal pace of a 30-second mile. And we're walking, and, and, and my mom, this may be some of your moms too, when my mom gets upset, she, she, she prepares for her upsetness by putting a Kleenex or a handkerchief in her hand, and she holds it just like this. I don't know why she does that. I think she probably does that for a better grip when she hits or something, like, like brass knuckles or something like that. And she holds it like this. She's walking, and she's walking just like this. And she's just, I mean, she's so animated. Christopher, da-da-da, and Christopher, da-da-da. And she's not, you know, she's, I, do you breathe? Can we stop? And she's just walking, and she's like rubbing her nose, crying and all this stuff. And, and, and I, <laughs> we finally made that 14-hour walk back to her house. And I said, Mom, at the end of the day, you need to understand something. She said, what's that? I said, Debbie's my wife, and she's more important than you. And you better come to a realization that if you keep overstepping your boundaries, there won't be any more boundaries for you to overstep. You say, how did she feel? I went back in the house, and she kept walking. (laughs) But it was right, because Debbie is the most important person in my life, and that boundary cannot be overstepped, not by my parents, not by abuela. Alex and Mariela's daughter was calling me abuela pastor in Mexico, or in Colombia, and I loved it. Not by grandparents, not by auntie and uncle. The most important relationship you have is with your spouse. Listen to what I'm about to say. Some of you need to write this down. Your spouse is more important than your children. Oh, I could live without my spouse, but not my kids. Then your marriage is out of whack. Your marriage is jacked up because your spouse is more important to you than your kids if you're going to have a Christ-like marriage. The Bible doesn't say, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother cleave unto his kids and they too shall be one. The Bible doesn't say, for this cause shall a woman leave father and mother and cleave unto her kids and they too shall be one. I love my daughters. I've got two wonderful daughters. I have a great relationship with them. I talk to them, I think every day, I think we talk probably too much. It seems weird to me. But because of texting and everything, some of us grew up in the era when you called your parents like every 10 days on a payphone with a calling card. How many of you remember that in the middle of the dorm room? And maybe your parents would call you and that's what you did. That's what I do. And now my daughters and I, I shouldn't say too much. We have a wonderful relationship. But, but we just, we talk all the time and I love it. But mama is number one at the Chadwick house. We did little things like that just so that they would know. We always sat next to each other in church. We never put our kids between us. I just wanted subconsciously them to understand that mom and dad are more important than you. And our kids are saying, we want it, we want it, we want it, we want it. And as the dad, dad, this is what I often say to my daughters. What's your mom want to do? Well, why does she always get to pick? Because if she doesn't pick, I kill you. So it's good. 
It's the safest thing for you. And then we laugh. I'm being funny. I'm not being serious, obviously. Don't, don't, don't take that too far to unrealism. I just want my kids to understand, and you need to have your kids understand, that mama and daddy are an eternal team together, and you're here for a little while. You're gone for eternity, so we're going to be glad while you're here. We're going to be gladder when you're gone. I walked into the house yesterday, and I have a puppy, a wonderful dog named Molly Joy, and I just love her to death. She's a mini Bernadoodle. She's about 18 pounds, and she is happy to see you all the time. We came back from Columbia, and she saw us, and for an hour, she wouldn't leave us alone. And Debbie and I sat next to each other, and she would jump up on me for about 15 seconds and then jump up on Debbie and back and forth and back and forth and did that the entire time. We have another dog. His name's Baxter. Baxter walked in and goes, oh, you're back. And he went and laid down and just watched. He uh, gave him about five seconds to say hi, and he was done. He was out of there. He was like a petulant teenager watching the side of the room. Oh, you're back. Yeah, whatever. And, uh, and, and Molly Joy's just back and forth. Molly Joy gets excited to see you whenever she doesn't see you. You could be in the back of the house. She could be in the front of the house. You walk into the front of the house, and she acts like you've been gone for three months. She, you walk in, she's like, oh, dad, where have you been all my life? Oh, here I am. Come play with me, pet me, throw me in the air, do anything. Dad, I love you. And I walked out of the house yesterday, came back in. I was out of the house for 15 seconds, putting something in the car. I walked back in the house and Molly Joy was so happy. And I looked at Debbie after working on this. I said, why did we ever have kids? His tuck loves us all the time. As a matter of fact, one of our older saints walked out of church this morning after I shared that illustration. He said, Pastor, if you take your wife and your dog and you put them both in the trunk of your car for an hour, open up the trunk, which one's happier to see you? (laughs) I said, I'm not going to use that in counseling, but... It's pretty, pretty funny. So we laughed about that. Don't If you lock your wife in the car, I'll visit you in jail. And rightly so. The Bible says in verse number 25, to delight in your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Delight in them. Find joy in them. When YouTube is more important than wife watch, there's a serious problem. To delight in. I've got a lot to say. I don't have a lot of time to say it, but I want to say this. Some of you, the reason your marriages are really jacked up, men, is because you don't delight in listening to your wife. Some of the reasons your marriages are messed up is because you feel like you have to talk all the time. Now, some men never talk, and that's a problem. What you're saying is you're not important enough for me to communicate to you. So I'll just sit and listen, then I'll do my own thing, and I'll, I'll show my maturity by my silence, and I won't communicate with you at all. Or very little. And so I could just sit here while you talk and I'm off in a distant world and I don't have to listen to you. I can just zone out and go my own way. I can zone out and stare right at you and give the perfunctory, uh-huh, yeah, oh, that'd be great, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, that'd be great. And then you wonder why it seems like we're not connecting. You're not connecting because you're not intentionally listening. Sociologists call it active listening. You're not trying to listen to what she has to say. And you're using every word that she says, even words that are misstated against her, which is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. And it's a sign of you being an internal prosecutor and you prosecuting everybody who doesn't like what you say. If you're a prosecutor here, please twist up people's words in front of a judge. That's why we have a legal system. But in a marriage, it's a horrible way to go about life. Because if you delight in your spouse, you're looking for the intent of what they say as opposed to the verbatim verbiage that they use. But others of you in the room, the reason that your marriage, you really struggle is because every time you turn around, you're talking. You're always talking. You use a conversation as a springboard into your opinion. It's like every once in a while, 
I have the privilege of talking to a lot of people every day. And every once in a while, I'll have been thinking deeply about something. And I'll ask somebody, like, hey, have you ever given any thought to this? And like, no, but I can tell you my opinion. And they jump into this really deep concept. And they can talk for 15 minutes about it. And about minute number 0.25 seconds in, I have tuned them out because they've never given any deep thought to the issue, but they have no problem talking. And the Bible is very clear that even in a fool, when he holdeth his tongue, is counted as wise. And in much words, there wanteth not sin. So, man, could I be very candid with you this morning that if you would just shut your mouth for a while and let your wife think and then talk, your marriage would be greatly improved. Now, some of you need to listen and then respond. But many of you, you just want to bull your wife over to get your opinion across. And she's given up hope. And here's the reason. You say, well, what gives you the authority to say it? Well, delight in. You listen to what you delight in. I have a couple of hobbies. My wife and I do some of them. I think we do all of them together, as a matter of fact. But I have a couple of hobbies. I enjoy working out. I enjoy the ocean. I enjoy boogie boarding. Though finding a 4XL wetsuit has been a problem and the water's really cold. Nonetheless, I enjoy it. And there's times when I'll talk to people who really know a lot about any of those subjects. You know what I'm doing when they're talking? I'm, I'm leaning in. I'm listening. I'm trying to gain the knowledge that they have. I'm showing them mature respect. And, and you do the same thing. Many of you right now are leaning forward, listening, trying to grasp it. I appreciate that so much. Don't get me wrong. But we need to take that and transfer that to our relationships with our spouse. And here's what is often said. But pastor, I already know what she's going to say. Okay. Then you get to self-sacrifice and just listen. I've been married 28 years. I can tell you every argument we've ever had. I can tell you every argument we're going to have. Because it's always going to be the same. Debbie could too. You can too. You know what the arguments are going to be about. You know what the disagreement's going to be about. You know what would prevent a lot of that is just if you listen to one another. That's why the Bible says that every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak. I've never regretted the hurtful words I didn't say. Slow to speak. I have regretted the sudden harsh words that I've said. Matter of fact, those are my greatest regrets. Other than when I was training to be a world championship boxer and Debbie was my sparring partner, (laughs) I've never punched her. I've never hit her. She slaps me a few times a day. But I float like a butterfly and I... Sting like an elephant, so it's not that big a deal. I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. But, but I, I've, I've never hit my wife. By the way, neither should you. And if you do, I hope I'm in the room, so I'll knock you out. You say, that's on YouTube. Good, good. Because the men of our church will pay for the attorney to help me. Now, I, we should have had more of an amen there. Ladies should have said amen there. But I... I I've never hit my wife, never should, never would, by the grace of our wonderful Savior. But my words have been hurtful. My greatest regret, I, I, I got a black belt in sarcasm. I, I've got a black belt in intimidation. I've got a, a black, I, I've got a 10th degree black belt in mockery. You put me in any room with anything, I'm like the consummate junior in high school with a new teacher. 
I can find any word and trip people up and make fun of people. And people are like, oh, that's so funny. I'll tell you what. Sometimes it's funny when it's a bunch of dudes sitting in a room watching a TV broadcast or something like that. But I'll be very candid with you. It's not funny when it's your spouse. And it's not funny when they don't take it as humor. And it's not funny when it divides the marriage because it, does, it, it shows a lack of delight in, but an A-plus ability to humiliate your spouse. And a loving husband never humiliates. Did you hear me? A loving husband never humiliates. And maybe we could say it this way. When you humiliate, you're not a loving husband. And you have to seek repentance for that because every one of us do it at times. And you have to seek repentance of that for that. And you have to do a better job. And you have to stop it with the, um, with the humiliation. And the Bible says, love your wife, verse number 25, even as Christ loves the church. Christ is our example, and he is our example of love. Continue looking at verse number 25. Well, what is the example of Christ's love? In verse 25, it is a sacrificial love. He gave himself for it. Christ gave himself for the church in love. He gives, the, the, the loving Christian husband gives himself to his wife. He sacrifices his own desires for his wife. I've watched Anna Green Gables and Sound of Music during some major sporting events that I'd rather watch. Matter of fact, I'd rather have tongue surgery than watch those. But it was important to my wife. And so I have to sacrifice some things. In verse number 26, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. It's a sanctifying love. The word sanctify means to set apart, to make holy, to make clean. Men, as the pastor, shepherd, leaders in your home, you have a responsibility to make sure your family is holy and clean before God. And, and, and let me stop right here and just say, the Bible says in verse number 23, the husband is the head of the wife. You are the leader in the home and you are responsible, men, for what goes on in your home. Now hear me. It's not your wife's responsibility to determine what's watched in your home. It's not your wife's responsibility to determine what the kids get to listen to in your home. It's not your wife's responsibility to determine where the kids go. And, 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 and I've been a youth director for 30 years. And, and so I've, I've worked with teens literally since I was 20 years old. So I'm 50, so 30 years. And I have kids say to me on a regular basis, oh, my dad doesn't care. I better talk to my mom about that. God forbid that your kids would ever say that. I would rebuke you if I was in front of you for that. How dare you? Put your wife in a position that she has to make decisions that are your God-mandated responsibility. That's sin. And it doesn't remove the accountability that you have before God. You still, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you still stand before God for that decision. You are the head. You are the shepherd. You are the pastor of your family. Now, I know there's some ladies in here that would give anything to have a godly husband in their home. And my heart goes out to you. And I get that with all of my heart. And I, I'm not speaking negatively of you in any way, shape, or form. I know that and I understand that sometimes those, those, those things are thrust upon us when we wish that they had not been. I understand that. I get that. I, I, I've lived through that in my own life at times. I've seen that firsthand many, many times. I understand that. Men, you have a God-given response to be the leader in your home. Well, I let my wife make those decisions. You don't have the authority to let her make those decisions. Well, well she knows more about this stuff than me. Bro, you better wake up and get a checkup because that's not your wife's role. 
And that doesn't mean she should learn less. That means you need to give your heart and life to an aggregate amount of study and learning so that you can be the godly leader in your home. Now, she can help you as she should. My wife is my closest counselor. She should help you. She should encourage you. She should uplift you. She should strengthen you. She should give you insight. She should give you encouragement. She should give you affirmation. But men, it is still your responsibility because you are, according to Jesus, according to God, who designed marriage in the eternal concourse of heaven, in the eternal courtroom of heaven, it is established that the husband is the head of the wife. It'd be as foolish to say that the church tells Jesus what we're going to do. Ah, you know what, Lord, we're not going to meet on Sundays. We're going to meet on Tuesdays because there's football on Sundays. And when you scheduled the celebration of your resurrection weekly, you weren't thinking NFL and NBA. Tuesdays are boring days. So we're going to do church on Tuesdays. God's up in heaven going, yeah, bro, I don't think that's the way it works. You just sanctify it. Your family's to be sanctified. Dad, that's why you have a responsibility to stand up to your children and say, no, 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 not, in, not up in this house. No, that's not happening here. My daughter, now you might not think it's a big thing. I don't really care what you think. And I mean that with every ounce I just said it. But my daughters, when they were kids, wanted to have two earrings. You said, did you let them? No. Why? I didn't want them to have them. Why? I didn't like it. Why? Because I didn't want them to have it. Why? Because I didn't like it. Why? Because I didn't want him to have it. Here's the deal. I don't have to tell you why I didn't like it. I don't even know I didn't like it. I just didn't want him having it. I grew up, my mom said, girls that have two earrings are hoochie mamas. And so I wasn't sure what a hoochie mama was, but I knew I didn't want my girls called hoochie mamas. So they said, daddy, we want two earrings. I said, not in this house. And they said, can we talk about it? Sure, talk about it. They talk about it. You haven't convinced me. And they'd go back to their room. They'd have their little, they'd come out with a little plan and everything. Dad, two earrings. And they would try to come up with this. Okay, Dad, not two earrings, three earrings. And we'll have like a cross and then one that's red for the blood of Jesus. And then our regular earrings. So you a Christian hoochie mama? I don't think that's the way it works. You say, well, I, I think that's oppressive. Probably was. My daughter Jude now had 42 earrings in her hair. Her, literally, her ear looks like a strainer. The other day, we needed a strainer. We just used her ear. The spaghetti stayed. Water went through. So you think it's a sin? That's not a sin issue at all. You want your kids to have 12 earrings. You're weird. Yo, hoochie, 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 mama. According to Arlene, but it's your deal. It's, it's, not, it's not a sin issue. It was my issue, and I'm the head of the home, and I wasn't trying to make an issue, but I really felt like it was important to me. You say, were you worried about what other people thought? I didn't consider at all what anybody thought other than Arlene, other than my mom, but no, you're just not going to have that. I wasn't leaving that decision up to Debbie. Debbie, you know why? Because Debbie would have gave in. Debbie has a, has, a, has a Christian character. She's a peacemaker. I have the Christian character of being a peace breaker. Oh, you have peace. We better do something right now. This isn't good. I'm worried when teenagers are feeling comfortable in my house. So I determine what they listen to. I determine what they watch. You say, how did it go? I don't know. We, we don't raise kids to be 13. We raise them to be 30. So the jury's still out a little bit. We got four more years of worry. And, and then we're free. We crossed the finish line. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But my job, my responsibility is to sanctify them. That's why at our house, listen to me clearly, it wasn't, it wasn't an option or an obstacle to go to church. You say, well, I'm afraid that my kids might hate church if they go to church. Do you consider that for school? That's foolish thinking. 
The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. I wanted my kids under as much preaching as I should, could possibly get them because I'll be very honest with you. You talk to Judith or Natalie Chadwick today, they're some of the deepest theologians that I talked to. They're not perfect Christians, but they can defend their faith any which way from Sunday, and it's because they've sat under the preaching of the word of God. I mean, their counselor is Bernie Lund. I mean, they've got godly people in their life and I want that for them, and I have to live, I have a biblical responsibility to make sure they are sanctified. And men, so do you. I mean, let's look at the text. Verse 26, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify. He gave himself for the church that he might sanctify, purify, cleanse it. Now remember, we understand the word sanctify means to make holy, to render pure, we under, to clean. We understand Hebrew writers don't have exclamation points. So when they say the same thing with different words or in a different way, it's, it's they're drawing their full attention to something. And you notice verse 26 is saying the same thing just a different way, that he might make it clean and clean it. This word sanctify, make clean. He might set it apart and cleanse it. He's saying the same thing. He's drawing our attention that, men, you have a responsibility in your marriage to make sure that your family walks with God. Why in the name of God are you watching porn? Why in the name of God are you watching Baywatch? Why would you be embarrassed for me to see your YouTube feeds as opposed to your wife? You say, Pastor, what do you watch? You talk to the pastoral staff. They see everything I watch. I don't even have my passwords to my social media accounts. That guy over there does. My wife might have them. I don't have them. Every once in a while, I'll want to post something. And literally, I was in Columbia, and I had to call John for a password. I'm like, JC, do you have that password? He's like, oh, let me get it. I'm like, you know what? Just say this. You can ask him. I mean, literally, ask after service. Your job, men... I'm going to be in your face for a minute because you need it. I think you can rise to the challenge. Your job is not to be a big teenager. Your job is to be the godly, holy leader of your home. Why would you take your wife to a rated R movie? Why would you let your wife see full frontal nudity? Why would you let your children see that? Why do you cuss to your family? Well, pastor, come on. Don't you know the real world? Don't you, when I go to work, everybody cuts like, like what? When I ride along with cops, they all become holy. You need to cleanse it. Your responsibility is to cleanse your family. Pastor, I really need prayer. I'm really, really struggling. I get struggle, don't get me wrong. But are you struggling because you're sitting there watching garbage? Some of you need to do this this afternoon. You need to take your phone and you need to throw it in the middle of the ocean. And the ocean is 2.3 miles away. And if you don't have the courage to do it, give it to me. I have no problem doing that. And go get a flip phone that can't take cameras and can't receive text. Well, what would I do? Probably live, live a cleaner life. Matter of fact, I guarantee you. Now, that's just a symptom. That's not the why. That's the how. That's not the why. But you're called to be clean and to cleanse. I worry about dudes that watch stuff on their phone all the time. Because I know what I watch. I watch like mute Christian music stuff and weightlifting stuff and videos from Yakut, Siberia. I don't know why, it just intrigues me to see people like 57 below Fahrenheit, like cooking outside. It just seems really odd to me, so I like it. And you can ask my wife, I watch that. She's like, why are you watching that again? Because I'm holy. And, uh, and I watch that. But still, some of the stuff that comes into my feed, I'm like, holy cow, how did that get there? 
Cleanse it. Sanctify it. You can't sanctify if you're not sanctified. You can't sanctify if, you're, if your family's like, yeah, whatever. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. Notice what he says in verse number 26, with the washing of the water by the word. That's why in our, if, in our house, if you live in our house, if your last name is Chadwick, but if you reside at our address, you go to church and there's no questions about it. Well, what, what if somebody's just coming for a week and they don't want to go to church? Well, they can go to a motel. I'm not telling them they have to go to church. I'm just telling them, you park your big rear end at this house, it better be a church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You say, well, I think you're being oppressive. It's free. They stay in for free. Bro, why are we fighting about staying for free? You want to go to San Diego? Pay $160 a night. I'm not mad at you. We'll go out to eat together. I'll let you pay for that too. But you park your butt at this house, you're going to church. Why? Because the washing of the water by the word transforms lives. Lives. And I don't feel bad about it. I feel good about it. It's like telling a really overweight dude, stop eating donuts. Why? Because I love you and I don't want you to die early. It's like hiding Skittles from Bernie. If you're a guest here, our assistant pastor has an addiction to Skittles. We don't know why, but he doesn't like the green or the orange, but he eats the rest of them. And so we have to hide them from him. And when we go to a grocery store and he starts walking down the aisle, we just have to push carts in front of it and say close because we love that dude and we want him to live longer. And, and that's how I feel about the washing of the water by the word. I got three take-home truths for you. This message went a little different than I thought it would, but I like that. Number one, your marriage, uh, your marriage is your most important human relationship. Your spouse is the most important human in the world to you. Your spouse is the most important human in the world to you. If your spouse is the most important person in the world to you, things are out of whack. Things are messed up. If your job is more important to you than your spouse, things are, things are messed up. Your marriage, number two, demands constant attention demands constant attention. Satan wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to, your marriage to implode. There is never a time when you can be casual about, about your marriage. Number three, your struggles demand both your attention. Whatever your struggles in, both of you have to work together. That's why we preach on marriage. That's why some stuff here today, you're like, oh, that, we're pretty good at that. Good, keep fighting for that. And some stuff you're like, oh, we're not very good at that. Good, it demands both your attention. It's never a one person only issue. That's why we have marriage weekenders. That's why I'm shocked that some people are like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go. We're pretty good. No, you're not. You might be good today, but you, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Hey, listen to me clearly. Listen to me clearly. The Bible says in Proverbs, this is the exact words of Proverbs, that the whore or the prostitute and the strange woman lie in wait at every corner for a man. Satan is going to find a means of attacking you at your weakest moment. So, so this demands both your attention. I, I wouldn't miss a marriage event for anything in the world outside of, of something absolutely major. And the farmer's market's not major. That's also why, and, and so some of you aren't signed up. You say, pastor, you pray. Yeah, I wanna pressure people to do things that salvage their marriage. That's what shepherds do. That, no, hear me. That's what shepherds do. Well, I can't afford it. Well, how about if you don't go to Starbucks for two weeks and then you can afford it? We've got some people that can't come because, of, because they won't be in town due to work. I get that. But I'm talking about people who are like, I'd just rather sleep in on Saturday and do my own thing. I don't want to listen to somebody talk again. No, no, it's not about listening to somebody talk. It's about hearing things that will equip you to have a God, Christ-centered, joy-filled marriage for the rest of your life. And I need it every single year. Been married 28 years, have a wonderful wife and a wonderful marriage. I would think some people would even say it's exemplary, but I need what's going to happen this coming week. And I need this message. 
Matter of fact, I hated preparing this message. I was like throwing my computer. I really wasn't, but I wanted to. So I'm too tight to do that. I was just like, oh, I need these things. They're so helpful to me. And it demands both your attention. I need to be here for this. You need to be here for this. That's why you need marriage mentors in your life as well. Some people in your life that will tell you the truth one way or the other. Why? Why marriage? Because marriage is a picture picture of the eternal and loving bond Christ has for his church. Marriage is a picture of the eternal and loving bond Christ has for his church. Your marriage is to be a testimony that brings people to Jesus. See, there's probably somebody in here today that's not sure if they died today, heaven would be their home. As a Christian, I want you to be able to look at the marriage Debbie and I have and go, why are they so close? Why do they stay together and be faithful to one another for 28 years? How does that happen? How could I ever have that? Can I tell you how it happens? Let me tell you what I'd tell you if we were one-on-one. I tell you, because June 16th, 1983, as a 10-year-old kid, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Uh, Port Orchard, Washington. I tell you, as a 21 or 22-year-old woman in Amarillo, Texas, Debbie Chadwick accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Having thought she was saved as a child, she got it settled as an adult, and our life is forever different and changed. We're just trying to follow what Jesus says and live in accordance to his word, and we have the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us on the inside. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want my marriage to be a testimony as to what God can do in your life because you already see what he did in my life. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have to understand you're a sinner. You get that. You've messed up. The consequence for your sin is eternal separation from God. You get that because you already feel distant from him. And the way that your relationship is restored is by repenting or agreeing with God that you've sinned against him and accepting only Jesus Christ as your savior. If you'll do that, he promises to save you. And you can be saved today. Father, bless our time in the word today. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at canyonridgebaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.